If you enjoy the following podcast, please consider supporting the Stream Grace Network. Just visit streamgrace.com slash support. Hello and welcome to my corner of the digital universe. Prepare to dive deep, get real, get close, and find out entirely too much about people you likely don't even know. I am Jeremy Griffin, and these are my conversations. So grab a coffee and get comfortable, because here we go! You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. All right, today's podcast is brought to you by sheer will and desire. Nothing was going to keep me from recording this podcast today. (laughs) (laughs) Today's conversation is with my longtime friend and author, Rick Brewster. Hey, Jeremy. It's great to be with you today, man. It's awesome. It's a fun day, isn't it? Fun day. You know what? And and speaking of the day, it's a good day. Like yesterday was really, no, day before was really dreary. Yes. And I've, it's like I've had this holdover effect. <laughs> so today was nice. It was a nice breeze in the morning. Had some coffee out in the backyard. Awesome. It was good. Yeah. We are in the uh, Stream Grace Studios here in Nakoma Park, Oklahoma. Actually, we have three different cities we, we're in, so... Today's Nakoma Park. Next time we talk about it, it'll be Moa City. <laughs> Maybe Choctaw even, even though that's not official. Um, so we've known each other for a long time. Gosh, it's uh, since 2002. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. That's when I moved back from overseas and came to Oklahoma and started going to the church there with you. And Isn't that wild? Yeah. How the years go by. You know what my, my favorite thing is? I was talking to my mom this morning, right? And she would always tell me, she said, you know, you, it, it never surprises me when I call you and you say you're doing something weird. <laughs> and what started it all was one day she called me. She said, hey, what's up? And I said, well, I'm sailing. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, what? You know, and, and that was the day we were sailing on the boat. I remember that day. That was fun. We got, I, I was kind of a novice sailor. I had just bought this 25 foot uh, sailboat. And it was way more boat than I was experienced. And uh, took you and a couple of guys out, and we got just nicely out into the middle of the lake. And I looked behind me, and I don't know if you remember, but the, the squall? sky was black. <laughs> yeah. And I just figured, man, this is not a an environment for a, a novice like myself. So we we headed back into dock, and yeah. we just got into yeah into literally yeah. yeah and it opened up you know what's funny is i remember that really vividly and i remember thinking not being remotely nervous and thinking i mean you know rick's got this <laughs> 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 you know i just had all the confidence in the world man it worked out great <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you don't have that boat anymore do you no i don't okay no it, that boat i i called it it was a 25 foot santana it was actually kind of a, a racing design so it was a pretty fast boat, and I called it assignment yep. <laughs> so that uh, the lady who was my administrative assistant could say, no, he's not in the office today. He's on assignment. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out awesome. And I got to partake in that when someone said, where are you at? Well, I'm going to be on assignment today. <laughs> that was good. Well, tell you what, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, where you grew up? Well, I grew up in eastern Canada, in the Maritimes of Canada, those three eastern provinces around the Bay of Fundy and Atlantic Ocean. And so uh, kind of a different world from where I am right now. Yeah. And, you know, kind of always amazes me that this little guy from eastern Canada ended up going to so many different places in the world. And uh, I I grew up there, um, was a was part of a church that really was a strong influence in my life. Uh, in fact, the, the pastor and his wife um, just were great leaders. Um, it was the largest church in Eastern Canada at the time. Wow. In fact, we had a TV ministry and the church had uh, a larger viewership than any religious broadcast in Eastern Canada at that time. So. It was, a, it was a great church and a good, strong youth group. And that was a, a really strong influence. It, my peer pressure were all my Christian friends. Yeah. And that really kept me going in a, in a positive direction. Yeah. 
And I, you know, I see kids today and they just, even though they grow up in church, they just seem to spin out in so many different directions. Mm -hmm. And I think back in my life, like, well, yeah, all my peers were kids on fire for Jesus. And it was, we we grew up in the time of the Jesus movement in the seventies. And, you know, like it was the the thing to be (laughs) a Christian, man. we, We did a, I remember I had a, uh, a book sale at my high school one day and uh, had some books on consignment from a bookstore. And my math teacher was a real skeptic and uh, he was, he was an atheist. He really was, <laughs> but he was a nice guy and yeah. I liked him a lot. And he walked by and picked up a copy of a new Testament. It was called good news for modern man. Mm-hmm. And uh, he looked at that and looked at me and he said, you don't really believe this stuff. And I said, why don't you read it? It'll scare the hell out of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, so when did you leave Canada? How old were you when you left Canada? Uh, well, I, uh, we got married there and pastored my kids. Both my children were born there in Canada. We left in, um, 92. Okay. 1992 and left to, to actually go overseas. So it was kind of a two step process. we, we're in the U.S. Uh, itinerating to raise funds for a, a missions assignment. And so we were in the U.S. for about a year before we actually went overseas and uh, went to Singapore as our first assignment overseas. And, wow. you know, I just actually thought of that not too terribly long ago. Um, fairly, you know, a, a family middle-aged, I guess. We were in our early 40s. Didn't know anything, really. Yeah. Uh, went overseas, didn't know anybody in Singapore. Just Wow. You know, we just went. Just there. went. Uh, a contact that we were introduced to was supposed to pick us up at the airport. We never met the guy before, you know, so it was just a name. <laughs> Going into a strange country with kids in tow. Wow. You know, I think back on that and, yeah, that was pretty pretty gutsy stuff yeah how how old were you when you did that i think i was early 40s okay yeah we had pastored in canada for a number of years and uh i just felt uh, an itching that i wanted to do more Mm -hmm. I, i wanted i wanted to number one make a difference and have an influence but number two i wanted my kids to grow up in an environment that they wouldn't have otherwise. Mm. And, um, you know, I look back on it and, and really my kids got a, a world-class education. They lived in a lot of different countries and cultures and saw life from a very different perspective. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of their peers, uh, ended up kind of going through the normal struggles of early adulthood and and my kids certainly have had their struggles too, just like every person that's growing up, right. you know. But they just gained a world experience, mm-hmm. and uh, I was really grateful for that opportunity to take the kids overseas. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I want to uh, I want to back up a little bit because we went from uh, growing up in Eastern Canada to being overseas. Right. We missed a big gap. Yeah. There. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just back up and ask. Let me ask you this: What were you different as a child than you are today? From a just in general as a, like a personality or anything like that? Or are you about the same? Oh, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of the same. The, the lo- older I get, the more I realize that number one, I'm more comfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. You know, in your earlier years, you're trying to prove yourself and get people to like you and so on. And I, I used to comment that when I was pastoring, I found it so hard to say no to people Mm. because you always wanted people to like what you did and approved of what you did. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I amaze myself at how quickly I can say no now, you know, like that. (laughs) So I'm, I'm different in that respect. I'm, I'm more confident in who I am as a person. Uh, but this, the same drives are there. You know, I, 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 I want to do things that are just, a little bit outside of the conventional mm-hmm. and I want to reach people that perhaps some people are not being 
who are not being reached by a lot of the mainstream of Christendom. Yeah. And uh, so, for, yeah, for, I think for that reason, I'm I'm a little bit different. Again, I go back to my high school years, you know, as a kid growing up, a young adolescent. Um, I just didn't go through a lot of the struggles of drug addiction and drug pressure and stuff. Again, my, most of my influences were pretty, pretty strong influences and yeah. a little bit on the fringe of Christianity at that time. Yeah. But it was, it was a wholesome thing. It was, we were going in a good direction. Hmm. So yeah, I, I think the core of my person is, is still pretty true and pretty, um, if anything, pretty refined, to yeah. a little bit more than than it used to be. But am I a conventional sort of person that's no. done the same things <laughs> that everybody else has done? No, probably yeah. not. Yeah. Is there a uh, any particular moment you remember in your youth that was impactful for you that you're like, man, okay, this is a thing I'll, I'll never forget? Well, again, you know, we we did some things with the youth group. Not that I, I wasn't in any kind of leadership role, but... I was active in my youth group sure. and um, some little activities and exercises my peers said to me, my friends said to me, you know, you're really good at this. You're really comfortable doing this. And I can see you doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that, those, those moments, there was one little exercise we did one night um, where we stood in a circle. I, I, Probably you've seen this kind of thing done in lots of environments, but we stood in a circle and one person in the middle and you close your eyes and you just sort of let yourself fall and hope that the group is going to catch you. Mm -hmm. And uh, we put some spiritual context to all of that. And uh, yeah, one girl in particular said, this is really you. Hmm. This is, I can see you being very comfortable doing this, leading in this kind of environment few years later, as I was a youth pastor, uh, there was one young lady in the youth group that was so quiet, just a wallflower personality. You know, I knew she was solid in her walk with God, but just very shy and withdrawn. Mm. And when it came time for us to leave that youth assignment, youth ministry assignment, she wrote us the nicest letter just saying what an impact we had had on her life, you know? Yeah. And so those are the kind of things that stand out to me. Yeah. How did you end up doing that? So you, you graduate high school and yeah, then well, actually I remember one summer, the the summer after grade 12, after I graduated. I, I love that you said grade 12. I wanted to say it because that's a Canadian thing to say. Yeah. It and, is. and I love it. I really do. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm, I can't say it. I'm not allowed. <laughs> Sorry. Go well, ahead. T- take the permission. All right. Say. Yes. Yeah, that summer after uh, I had graduated from high school, I was thinking, what do I want to do with my life, you know? And I just thought, I don't want to just get a job. Uh, I don't think I just want to go to university. So what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, maybe I'll go to Bible college. And it, it wasn't a great profound moment. It wasn't this flash of lightning in the sky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just thought, yeah, I think that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, <laughs> interesting story. I, I contacted our pastor, and I, he was a just a figure that lived larger than life <laughs> for a lot of us. And uh, my girlfriend that I was going out with at the time in high school, uh, she had come to Christ as a result of us, mm. me bringing her to church, mm-hmm. and which... Long story there, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, we decided that we both go to Bible college, and so we made the appointment with the pastor to just go in and talk it over with him and see how he felt about that. I remember when we got into his office, um, he wanted to know what we wanted to talk about, and so we said, "Well, I, I, we're thinking that we'd like to both go to Bible college, and would like to know how you feel about that." <laughs> and I remember him just kind of leaning back in his chair and he said, that's it. Yeah. I was going to say, he's probably very relieved in <laughs> yeah, that, right? Very relieved. I thought he, I think he felt that conversation was going to go a whole different direction. <laughs> <I can imagine. laughs> 
Wow. So, yeah, so we ended up going to, I ended up going to a Bible college. And um, again, just kind of a natural transition. It wasn't any great profound sense of being called to it. It's just that I felt like that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, sort of the same type of environment when I graduated from Bible college, I thought, Hmm, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of mine who was uh, from the church that I grew up in had since left that church, moved to another part of Canada, and had started some youth ministries, some coffee houses. Oh, cool. And uh, a coffee house had really taken off and done well. And uh, he said, why don't you just come and work with me here in Chatham, Ontario? There you I go. was from St. John, New Brunswick. And uh, so Chatham, Ontario is about 1,000 or 1,200 miles from New Brunswick to Ontario. That's what most people in America, I don't think, fully get is Canada's huge. Yeah, it's a big place. They really don't. I don't think they get that. I know I didn't get that until I started traveling to play paintball and I went to Canada. Uh And you're talking to other guys in Canada online and and asking if they're going to go to this game, just like, well, it's in Canada, you know, I mean, surely you're going to be there. And he's like, well, I mean, it's a 36 hour drive for us. So no. (laughs) (laughs) So I ended up going there uh, in in Chatham and it was just a really exciting ministry. A lot of kids had gotten saved off the, out of the street culture and out of the drug culture. And I mean, they were, these kids were from a whole different world than I grew up in. I mean, they were, a lot of, a lot of them had just been really burned out and, uh, I felt kind of overwhelmed there. I thought, I don't have much to say to these, these Mm. kids because they lived a whole different life than I did. Um, and about four months into that assignment, uh, my friend Ron said, you know, I'm thinking that I don't want to be the pastor of this anymore. And I'd like you to do it. Wow. And it scared me to death. I mean, I just <laughs> felt like this is not what I want to do. I don't want to be saddled with that kind of responsibility. Yeah. And so I ended up going to work with my brother in a church. He was a senior pastor and he needed a youth pastor. And it was about 80 miles from Chatham, Ontario to this place, mm. just outside of London, Ontario. And so I went there and again, it was a great assignment. I was there for three years and worked really well. And that's how I got involved with the church denomination that I ended up spending some years at. Gotcha. And um, it it was really good. But I think the point that I want to bring out there, Jeremy, is that there's a scripture that says, um, for it is the Lord who works in you to both will and to do his good pleasure. Mm. And that's kind of been a a key passage for me through the years is that a lot of times I felt directed to go into a certain ministry or direction in life. It wasn't so much that it was a, a, a strong revelation. It was that it was a desire that I had that I think I want to do this. Yeah. And I felt like, to a large degree, God's led me through the years by just influencing my own thinking. Yeah. And if I could say anything, sometimes we maybe miss God's direction in life because we're looking for a brilliant revelation. Mm-hmm. And I just say, do what's in your heart to do. Yeah. You know, just go for it. Just take a risk and do what you want to do. Yeah. And you'll find that God's in that. Man, I'm really glad you touched on that. That was the note I wrote down because I, I heard that through the, this theme the whole time is that it wasn't some massive lightning bolt that says go do this. And I'm reminded of a passage that says um, God will give you the desires of your heart. Yeah. And how I interpret that is is that the desires that are in your heart are given to you by God. I, I absolutely believe that. Yeah. I really do. And that's why wouldn't he lead us that way? It's a lot simpler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, I think the burning bush moments that people look for um, are often just out of fear, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, it's just like, well, if there's a burning bush telling me what to do, then I've got no doubt in my mind this is what God wants. But 
when it's something that's in me, I think we are in, inherently, we feel like we're wrong by doing what's in our heart. You know, like it's, it's our own will, not his. Right. And, uh, and I think what's, you know, personally, I think this exists even stronger today than it did years ago, especially in young people. I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people in their mid twenties who they desperately want to make an impact in the, on the planet. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to figure out from a career standpoint how to do that. And that, you know, I've got a 21 year old and a 20 year old. And the thing that I've worked with on both of those and a nine year old, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> um, but the thing I've worked at with them is, uh, you know, explaining, uh, and more the 21 year old because the 20 year olds in the air force, he's just on a path, you know, but, uh, it's like, man, listen, you're not, you know, I always talk about my wife's employment because she didn't get get up one day. She works in the aircraft industry. She, she didn't get up one day and go, man, I feel really called by God to the aircraft industry. Right. But, but your career path, you in looking for a good career path, you're, you're looking for something that will enable you to do what you really want to do. Very few people I know do their job. Their, their job is the thing they love. And in fact, I would make the argument in a lot of cases, if you start doing the thing you love as a job, you'll soon hate that thing. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you can't hardly do those two things right. simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I, I might throw into that is that you've got to have a little bit of a sense of being a risk taker. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're just always looking for all the answers to be uh, satisfied before you make a decision, Mm-hmm. you're going to get stuck. Sure. And you just have to be willing to take a risk. And, you know, when we moved to Singapore with wife and two kids, <laughs> yeah. not knowing anybody there and you're on the other side of the I world, can honestly tell you, I just don't think I could do that. <laughs> I'm you know, impressed with that. You, you actually can. And it's not that hard to do. It's just a matter that you're willing to say, well, I'm going to try this. And... Planes fly back every day, you wow. know. Yeah. And if you worst case scenario, if it doesn't pan out, you know, you just reverse direction. But I'm gonna go and try and do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say that to anybody that's maybe in that position of, in sort of in the throes of a decision. What's a hurt to try? Yeah. Just go ahead. If, and if if you're walking with God and you're being led by His Spirit you're not going to fail. Yeah. You know, worst case scenario, if you make a mistake and it proves to be the wrong thing, look at the lessons you're going to learn as you go through that and mm-hmm. the, the level of maturity that's going to come as a result of that. But just go ahead and do it. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> it's good to have that license, you know, for people just to hear that. That's yeah. powerful. So let's pick it up. You're in Singapore. Um, how long were you in Singapore? Yeah, we were in Singapore for three years and, uh, Started doing a, a leadership development program. Um, the idea at the time was that we would bring leaders into Singapore from uh, surrounding Asian nations, and we would train them there on a six-week program. So it was a very short-term training school. But the idea was do it modular mm. uh, and have them come back and forth two or three times and sort of take them through a whole curriculum. Uh, the denomination that we had at that we were involved in at the time had a training school in London mm. and that was sort of the catalyst to this. And what they found was that if they bring third world leaders into a first world nation, they end up either not going back or not going back for very long. Oh, wow. And so it became kind of understood that the better I, the better model would be to have a training program in the environment that, is closer to their own culture. That makes sense. Now, yeah, yeah, it does. I thought it was a great idea. Um, now, Singapore is kind of a unique culture. It's a melting pot of Asian nations. Um, just FYI, Singapore, they have a, uh, a national surplus every year where most countries have a national deficit every wow. year. I mean, it's a very interesting place to live. I it can really imagine. Is. I yeah. can't even fathom that concept. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we, we would bring leaders into Singapore and we would train them. Um, and it was just great. It was a, a melting pot. We'd have people from 
Indonesia, from Malaysia, from India, uh, from the Philippines, and just just such a melting pot of different thoughts and ideas. And in fact, in India, you know, there's 15 official languages plus hundreds of dialects. Wow. And we found that when we brought leaders from North India, they didn't even speak the same language as leaders from South India. Wow. I mean, English was the common goal, and not everybody was terribly proficient in English. So it was, it was just a, a, an eye-opening experience. Um, we found that in Singapore, um, one of the problems what we encountered was that, a lot, again, a lot of really hardcore third world li- people would come to Singapore and they didn't want to leave mm. because it was a very, somewhat of an affluent culture. Mm-hmm. So it, it became evident to us that to be more effective, what we needed to do was to take the suit, the, the program in a suitcase mm. and close it down in Singapore as a training center and go into uh, different countries. And so we would take, um, we'd set up a school for six weeks in India, and then we'd set up a school for several weeks in Indonesia. And we did that in a number of countries. Wow. And that program worked really well. And we, you know, we just met a lot of people, a lot of um, interesting experiences. I can imagine, man. That's just... Yeah. So, you know, I'm really grateful for that. So we ended up, that that second uh, level of training, uh, point, point two... Yeah. Uh, we ended up in seven nations training uh, in different countries. Um, then the organization that I was with asked me if I'd take on some additional responsibilities as well as training. It would sort of dovetail with that. And so I ended up being the supervisor for uh, all of Asia. Mm. And that took me into 17 countries. And um, gosh, that was that was just an experience that, again, this little Canadian kid from Eastern Canada, I mean, I just, so many times when I was traveling and walking the streets of a third world nation, you know, these mega cities with multiple millions of people, and I'm thinking, what am I doing here, and mm-hmm. how did I get here, you know, and it's just staggering to to think how God will lead you if you're just willing to take a risk, just yeah. willing to say, here am I, you know, send me, no strings attached, you know, God, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Yeah. Well, and you did it as a family. Yeah, we did it as a family. Now my wife and kids, they stayed in Singapore a lot Mm -hmm. while I traveled. And and so eventually, uh, well, eventually as it rolled out, uh, Singapore became a pretty expensive city to live in. And if you're raising money on a missions budget, Mm. uh, you know, the first year that we were there, we wanted to put our kids in an international school. Um, the American school had a waiting list. Mm. And so we didn't, the Canadian school also had a waiting list. So we didn't have too many options. There was a new international school that was just starting. And uh, we we went with that. And it was the not the cheapest, but it was in line with the cost of other schools. Mm-hmm. And my gosh, for uh, a kindergarten and a grade four student, uh, our costs per month were eighteen thousand dollars. I mean, I could have sent. Are the you kids, kidding me? No, I could have sent the kids to Harvard. I think for less money than. Oh it cost my me. goodness! So the first year that we were educating in Singapore. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! No, <laughs> you gotta let me resolve this for a second eighteen thousand dollars eighteen thousand a month a month yeah oh my gosh yeah it was just frightful and you know the the organization that i was with they were very gracious to extend that kind of a blowout in our budget and still cover the expense but after a year we were so far in the hole yeah that we you know they just said you got to look at some alternatives or you've got to come home and raise more money Mm -hmm. so we didn't want to come home after one year. Right. Yeah. You know, so we then decided we'd homeschool. Yeah. And again, it wasn't necessarily uh, a revelation that we wanted to. It was just circumstances that led us to do it. And in hindsight, I mean, that was great. Yeah. You know, my kids both graduated from high school before their 16th birthday. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so, 
uh, it, it turned out to be really positive. Yeah. We started off in the early years carrying suitcases of textbooks around the world as we were traveling, and that got to be old real quick, and sure. eventually moved into a, an online curriculum. And, you know, I, it, with this current scenario that we're in where classrooms right. are going virtual, mm-hmm. I mean, we were doing that. 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah, 30 years ago. Well, yeah, 20 years ago. That's an amazing reality. I mean, it really is. Most people are like, oh, so we can do this online now? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, by this point, we were in Australia. Uh, okay. So my, the point that I got sidetracked on, Singapore became so expensive, we ended up meeting a missionary couple uh, who were with Youth with a Mission, YWAMers, got to be good friends with them and caught up with them one day. And they said, man, you, you've got to come to Perth, Australia. It's, it's God's best kept secret. Hmm. And uh, we ended up moving to Singapore or from Singapore to Perth, saved us about $1,700 a month in our missions budget. Wow. It was just that less expensive in, in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for the kids schooling, it, it worked out great. Our kids would email their work at their end of their day mm-hmm. back to the U.S. instructors, which was nighttime in the U.S. Uh, so our kids would go to bed, and during the night, their work from the previous day was being graded. And when they got up in the morning, their work hmm. was already back on their desk. You wow. Know? So it worked out really, really good. So I would say, though, for anybody that's uh, for parents that are in this virtual school, quandrum of not knowing what to do homeschooling is not for the faint of heart Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of work there's a lot of commitment to it uh but it is doable and if your kids are motivated and ready to dig in they can get a great education yeah really can we're trying that with uh with our nine-year-old this year uh we're not doing homeschooling but we're doing the full remote it was yep. an option. Yep. And to me, this is the kind of quasi testing the waters of homeschooling. We've been talking about homeschooling him for about two, three years now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with, with building the string race network and doing these podcasts from, from the, my older boy's old bedroom. Now. Right. right. <laughs> um, it's, it's a little more functional. And so we're going to, we're going to give it a shot and we've got lots of support with grandparents and stuff, but, um, but yeah, I th- and I think that's the thing for me. I've known quite a few homeschooled folks, and I I do think that, I mean, I like the idea of pace, you know, moving at the pace that fits the child, and obviously the you get to do that when yes, what's one on one essentially, right? right. So, man, so you're in Perth now. This is where now I've met um, a friend of yours, and you introduced me to Chris Friend, yes, from Perth, yeah. Australia. Yeah, I haven't talked to Chris and ages right but uh yeah yeah so chris was uh when we first landed in singapore uh we needed some auto insurance and you know i started calling around and uh this guy came to our house and sat down with us and come to find out he is a believer and oh yeah he's a pastor as well and (laughs) so we became pretty good friends and and chris friend his name is chris friend right (laughs) uh has ended up staying with that organization that I was with at the time mm-hmm. and uh, has become kind of the leader for Australia for, oh, that, cool. for that movement. So yeah, he's a good guy. He really is a good guy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so how long were you in Perth then? Uh, we were in Perth for about seven years. Okay. So three years in Singapore. And you were still traveling to the Asian nations, yeah, right? Yeah. So at that time I was traveling about uh, 60 to 70% of the time. Mm. So Again, 17 nations that I was involved with, um, what I would do is uh, plan a trip and hit several countries on one trip, mm-hmm. kind of maximize my time. Mm-hmm. Remember, there was one trip where I spent three consecutive nights on an airplane. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that was brutal. But I'd, I'd go to a country, spend the day there in that country, get on the plane at the end of the day, fly all night to the next place and it's all three nights on the plane i remember when i first moved to australia i I, uh at that time everybody was still using travel agents it's kind of a uh an outdated thing anymore but yeah so i was looking for a good travel agent that i could work with and so i typed up an itinerary of some of the places that i wanted to go and i faxed it out to about 
several travel agencies to see, you know, who could come back with the best itinerary and prices. Mm -hmm. And so I got a phone call from a guy a couple hours later. He said, uh, um, I just got this fax from somebody. Um, is it you? I said, yeah, I sent a fax. He said, um, are you real? Because nobody goes to these places. Wow. And we became pretty good friends. His name was Frank. And he was uh, he was not a believer, but he was just a nice, nice guy. Yeah. And our, we had several conversations uh, over the years. And I remember one time he said, you know, Rick, it's not that I don't believe in eter- eternity and the afterlife. It's just that you're dead for such a long time. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I thought he was such a real guy. He, yeah. You know, he was honest about his his concerns for eternity. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so I just That's met cool. a lot of great people. One, yeah. One of the, one of the good re- friendships that I developed over the years. Mm-hmm. So, um Here's what I'd like to know, just in, in, in doesn't even have to be nutshell, but in mm-hmm. a nutshell, <laughs> what are some of the biggest differences between the westernized church and like Asian believers, Christianity around the world? Uh, and, and and maybe not just westernized, maybe American specifically. Yeah. Well, there was there's a couple of things that come to mind. Uh, one, we think of church here as a building. Mm. For the most part, in particularly in the third world countries, uh, church is more of a community. It's more of a, a group of believers, mm-hmm. and uh, they just have a different. You know, here we do everything to support the facility and the structure and the entity of our church on Main Street. Yeah, they're just. All none of that means anything. It's totally irrelevant. It doesn't doesn't have any context whatsoever. Hmm. There, it's relational. It's a group of believers who get together because they live in very difficult circumstances. Um, I remember being in Vietnam, and uh, the contact that we were working with said, "Now every pastor here has been arrested at least once." If they haven't been arrested at least once, then they're not a very good pastor. Mm. And if they've been arrested four or five times, well, they're a pretty good pastor. <laughs> wow. You know, and it's it's this whole idea that you've got to hold together. You you need one another for survival. Mm. Remember, uh, kind of one of the one of the highlights was um, I was in Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur, ministering there, and a lady came to us after the service and said, could, could I be water baptized? And she was a, a Hindu convert, wow. and her husband was a Hindu, and she didn't want any of her family to know. She, mm-hmm. she was a silent believer because of what it would mean to her. Mm-hmm. And so we went to the Malacca Strait that afternoon and baptized this Hindu lady, and Wow. I just thought, wow, that's that's some rich stuff right there. That's amazing. Mm. So, man, so when you see that, we just called the differences out. Now I want you to comment on them. Do you think that's a good thing, a bad thing? What do you, what do you think that says about the church? Uh, I, I, th- I think that the structured church in North America is in real trouble. Mm. I think that to a large degree, there's a struggle for identity. I think that they have to refine their place in culture and society. In Australia, if I can just kind of yeah. answer that by going to this example, a lot of people may not realize that Australia originally started as a penal colony for Great Britain. Mm-hmm. So they would send all their convicts there. <laughs> um, what some folks don't realize is that the ministers were also the magistrates. Oh, wow. So the guy who was judge on Monday through Friday was minister on Sunday. Hmm. And as a result, uh, the Australian church was largely felt to be totally irrelevant, and most of the families there were families of, 
not most, but a lot of families that the reason they came to Australia is because their husband or their dad was a convict. And so the family moved there and the wife and kids were, were there, mm-hmm. but the church didn't mean much because it was that guy that put my dad in jail. Wow. And so the church in, in Australia had to kind of develop a, a whole new relevance. And, um, you know, there was a mighty move of God that took place in just uh, some pretty large churches developed as a result of that. It was actually the kind of the role of worship that made the church in Australia what it is today. Hmm. Um, you know, we're all familiar with Hillsong, sure. you know, or, or Hills Christian Life. And uh, kind of the backstory to that was uh, there was a, a guy who was the superintendent of the Assemblies of God in New Zealand. Hmm. And God just stirred in his heart, felt like he wanted to do something a little bit more, a little different. And so he resigned his position, and, uh, man, none of his colleagues believed in him. Hmm. They thought, you're crazy. What are you doing this for? You're head of the denomination. Why are you leaving? And he left New Zealand and went to Sydney and started a church, and Hill's Christian Life is... uh, the result of that, wow. and they've planted churches all over the world. But the thing that that put them on the map, if I can use that terminology, was the the breakthrough in worship they had. Mm. Uh, for for many years, uh, that church was releasing about twelve CDs a year. Mm-hmm. They they wouldn't sing any worship chorus for more than three or four weeks at a time. They were always mm. into a new a new song and. Uh, it, it was just an exciting place. In fact, one of the one of the real great memories I was in uh, um, Kota Kinabalu, Malaysia. Got that. So East Malaysia <laughs> is a separate island. Gotcha. And it's uh, the other half of that island is uh, Borneo, mm. and so it's large. That that's. Well, it's all a, a Muslim part of the world. It's all is Islamic, and there was this pastor there who just got a hold of God or God got a hold of him. He was part of a, um, I think it was a Lutheran type of uh, denomination and uh, just became so enthralled with the things of God and the spirit of God that he started having prayer meetings in his home and the prayer meetings became more attended, uh, a greater level of attendance than Sunday services. Wow. And a hmm. lot of his peers and his leadership didn't relate to him and so they ended up asking him to leave Uh, uh, a story that just happens way too often when god's doing something in your life people around you don't understand it it's easier to alienate than Mm. to embrace and uh it's unfortunate it's unfortunate but it happens his name was lo wa sing Mm. (laughs) chinese name and my my colleague in Singapore that I got to be really good friends with and worked with said to him one day, he said, Lo, your name is in the Bible. <laughs> he said, really? And he said, yeah, Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up going to, to his church, uh, Good News Church of Sabah, and uh, Chinese-speaking service, Mandarin-speaking, uh, didn't know anything that was being said, but they started to sing Shout to the Lord in Chinese. Oh, and wow. it was just this moment where you realize that music was a powerful uniting force mm. that was breaking people out of religiosity. Mm-hmm. And so that was the growth of the church in Australia. And uh, I would say that to a large degree, um, Persecution is the the bond that made the church real in a lot of Asia, mm-hmm. and uh, they went, th- they do go through a lot. Uh, I think the profile of the typical underground Chinese pastor is a twenty one year old girl. Oh wow! You know, and a university student, mm. and just falling in love with God and willing to do something different and take a risk. And they're starting underground churches. And the underground church movement in China is just thriving. It's just alive and 
doing well. That's amazing. Yeah. So you spent uh, eight years in Perth, right? Uh, Seven or eight years? Seven years in Perth, yeah. And then from there you moved back to the States, yeah? Yeah. uh, My denomination leaders uh, asked me if I wanted to come to... uh, to Oklahoma. Of course. Uh, I mean, a world traveler, of course you're going to end up in Oklahoma. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Um, asked if I wanted to come and work as the assistant director for the missions department. So at a corporate kind of view, it looked like it was a step up. Mm-hmm. You know, I was moving from a regional to an, an uh, the Asian director up to the assistant director. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I was really unprepared for was just how petty personal agendas became. Mm. And, um, you know, I just, I just was naive enough to believe that mission was the priority. You know, we do everything for the cause. We, yeah. we, we have a, a central focus and we live our lives and do what we do for the cause. Yeah, I just found not everybody had that perspective. Mm. And uh, so I, I, I was in that world and, and it was actually at that time that we, I, we got to meet and I was going to the church that we were both part of at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just... It, it, it was difficult. It was a it was it was a bumpy transition for me. Mm-hmm. Um, at one level, I I thought it was great because you know here you're kind of speaking into the 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 direction and the life of missions ministry in a lot of nations, not yeah. just one, not just a few. Um, but that's that was overpowered by the political structure that was there and Mm. the personal agendas that people had. And um, I I just found that there was more, more and more there were moments of conflict as opposed to moments of victories. Mm. And uh, the joy sort of evaporated somewhat out of, out of doing ministry at that point. Right. And, uh, I uh, came up to a time of a church election and the new director wanted to bring all of his staff from his department and several of us in the missions department lost our positions at that time. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, out of, out of needing to do something, I, um, I ended up, a uh, couple of years later, I ended up uh, working with an insurance company and uh, needing to do some sales that uh, promoted my first months there. And again, I just found that investment monies that I had with the denomination, I couldn't get it out as long as I held credentials. Oh, wow. And so I said, well, that's easy enough to fix. I'm turning in my credentials. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was kind of the end of my road with the, with the denomination. Gotcha. So... Uh, for those of you guys listening, we will be, uh, recording a spiritually wounded podcast where I know we're going to get into a lot of this and, and kind of spend some more time dissecting some of the things that we need to address, uh, in the church in America and how to make some steps towards reform there. So I encourage you to check that out. Um, as soon as, I, I don't know by the time this podcast airs, if it'll be available, but it'll be soon thereafter. Um, so let's, uh, I'm going to pop into this, a uh, couple more questions. We're, we've only got yep. about 10 minutes left anyway. Um, but this is one I think is pretty, pretty big deal. What, what's one of the most significant failures or regrets that you've got in your life that maybe you would deal with different, deal with differently today? Uh, you know, the, the years overseas were just so productive and fruitful. Um, I loved what I did and it was uh, very successful and we saw a lot of growth and just knew that you were doing, you go to bed at night realizing that you did a lot to impact people. Mm. And so when I came back to the U S I just felt like that level of difference making was diminishing. Mm. And so I've, I've wondered several times, you know, was it a mistake to take that what was perceived to be a promotion uh, 
maybe I should have stayed doing what I was really enjoying and loving. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that maybe, um, after we got back to the U.S. Uh, and after I left the denomination, um, my wife was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Mm. And uh, of course, you know, those years were uh, difficult beyond description, really. Sure. You know, it was just a matter of, for two years, just watching things diminish every day. And so, you know, you kind of look back and think, what what could I have done differently? I remember uh, at the funeral, the minister who who has remained to be a good friend of mine said, and he didn't know the struggle that it was for me trying to be a caregiver because mm. that was that was testing me to the core of my being. Mm. That really was. Uh, and I remember him saying, you, you did such a good job being a caregiver. And I knew that at one level, he had no idea what I had been through. Mm-hmm. But at another level, boy, were those words healing. Yeah, Those words just meant a lot. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Those are some of the re- uh, regrets. Um, I mean, there's more, but... Well, sure. You know, but for the most part... Life's been good to me, and the the Lord's blessing on my life has been has been good. Uh, there's a scripture that says uh, the boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, hmm. and to to a large degree, that's that's true in my life. Uh, fast forward a little bit to the last few years, got remarried, wonderful woman, and we got together. Largely because her experience in church life was unfortunately kind of similar to mine. She had mm. led a Christian school through a $12 million program, building program. And after it was all completed, within about three months, they stepped in and said, we don't need you anymore. Wow. And uh, so I just, when I when we got together and we were dating a little bit, uh, heard that story, I thought, this person knows what life is all about. Mm -hmm. And so we've been happily, very happily married for the last four years. Her, her name is Kevin Mm -hmm. spelled K E V E N. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I I did write a book about kind of the right last few years. (laughs) We were going to talk about that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, I, I didn't know how to do that in the cover of the book that now, now he's remarried to Kevin. And I thought, (laughs) there's a lot of people that I know that I already think that I'm out there. (laughs) And so I I mentioned that Rick and his wife are happily married and live in Oklahoma with their dog, Sherlock. And I got a lot of flack for for that comment, Jeremy, that, yeah, the dog made it into the book, but I didn't make it into the book. I can imagine. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I remember, um, yeah, I won't get into that here, but I do remember another story you're telling me about going to the doctor's office and, and explaining your spouse Yes, and the question (laughs) that was asked of you. Um, all right. Um, I I have two questions I want to ask and we're just going to make the time for it. Um, who is somebody who's had a significant impact in your life? Uh, one of my youth leaders when I was growing up, Rudy Krulik, Mm. uh, He's a businessman that felt a call to leave business and go into uh, church ministry. And Rudy had a big impact on my life. He was a he was a good guy, and and the pastor of the church, David mm-hmm. Crabtree. He, um, you know, he was just a a wonderful leader and had a big influence. But I think probably the person that's had the biggest influence has been my brother, right? Mm. And uh, he and I have, we, as kids, we fought a lot. You know, like is he older or younger? Young, uh, older. Okay. Um, as kids, we fought a lot, like a lot of siblings do. But as adults, we became good friends, hmm. and uh, so he's probably <laughs> been a, a big influence in my life. Reminded my my boys, you know, twenty one and twenty. The uh, <laughs> the twenty year old said one day he was in. The, you'll you'll understand his point, but he said, you know, I don't think I'd be friends with my brother if we were just going to school. If we weren't brothers, mm-hmm. you know. Well, the 21 year old just did not like that at all. It's like, are you kidding me? Of course we'd be friends. (laughs) But you know, when you, they're different kids. And and that was his point. He's like, well, we're personality wise. We just are different. We probably wouldn't have hung out, you know, but I just think that's funny. I always wondered, you know, I grew up, um, grew up as an only child. And Mm -hmm. so 
uh, when I had the kids, I'm like, well, I would think it's like a sleepover all the time. You know, in my mind, that's the thing it was. And there's days where that was probably the case, but right. you know, this is a, a what a, t- a 10 by 12 room best and then two teenage boys mm-hmm. in here and mm-hmm. twins, twin beds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our, our, all of our children become very unique personalities mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the, probably the biggest challenge of parenthood is to realize, to try to figure out who your kids are and who they're going to become and set them up for success in life so that they become the people that they really need to be, not the people that you want them to be. Man, right. That's strong. And that might lead us to our next and final thought here is if there's one thing, and I mean, it's probably different, but if there's one thing that you would hope people could glean from your life, one principle, one value, what would that be? Um, don't be afraid to be different. Don't be afraid to take risks. Um, don't be afraid to follow God and, uh, just do what's in your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I don't think being a believer and, and doing something for God is complicated. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty natural. And if you're just living your life straight and doing what, what you know to be true. God puts the right desires inside of you. And, you know, life just moves on from one stage to another. Not everything turns out great. Clearly. Sure. Yeah. But, um, at the end of the day, you can end up being a happy person, regardless of what your circumstances are. Mm -hmm. Um, there are always experiences that will bring internal struggle. Uh, things like depression and, you know, the whole downward spiral of emotions. But for the most part, you can remain uh, sort of at the core of your being. At least I would say this. At the core of my being, I've always been a person that's pretty happy Mm. and pretty content and pretty well-adjusted in life. Maybe not everybody would say that, but (laughs) but I feel like I am. and what I would hope that people would see is that it's not hard to follow God. Mm. It's, it's not complicated. It's, it, it's fun. There's adventure in it. There's excitement in always moving forward. But you've got to be willing to let go of the past. You've got to be willing to let go of what you know to embrace what you don't know. Mm. And uh, if you do that, uh, life will take you some pretty great places. Yeah. Not, not just geographically, but I mean, <laughs> experientially. Right. Sure. So, um, uh, I want to tell everybody in the show notes, we're going to have a link to your book and then we're going to have it on our website at streamgrace.com under resources. Yep. So, um, what's the, what's the title of that book? The title of the book is on the other side of disappointment. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do a search in Amazon under books, you can find it right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to Barnes and Noble, and search their book uh, repertoire. It's there. Um, the publisher, Zulon Press, has it in their bookstore as well. So uh, if somebody's right here in Oklahoma City, uh, some of the local bookstores would would have a copy, or at least they can order it in. Um, yeah. So it's called this, On the Other Side of Disappointment. Right, and this covers basically a lot of what we've talked about today in more detail. And yeah, you know, kind of is the transition of uh, the steps in ministry that ended up, the, the exodus out of that circle that I was in, involved in, and uh, the struggle of losing your spouse mm-hmm. and your partner for many years. And all these things kind of come into a head in the same time frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. within a few years of each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, gosh, you know, I just felt, I felt like there was nobody that I could turn to. Mm-hmm. I f- there, there were, obviously, but I didn't feel that. Yeah. And in my mind, I was totally in a vacuum and in a absolute free fall. Yeah. Well, I can attest, I am, I am not as well read as I should, but I have read this book and I loved it. And Thank uh, you. so I encourage anybody out there to get that. I'm working on a second one. I'm sort of on the, uh, a study on the life of Joseph. Oh, cool. And uh, just the transitions that he went through, the betrayals that he went through. Yeah. 
And uh, I think I'm going to call it the nightmare of living the dream. <laughs> That's awesome. My One of my favorite things about Joseph is uh, he was never fully in charge. He was always that second guy. Right. And uh, there's something really powerful about the way he led mm-hmm. uh, laterally. Mm-hmm. I think it's really impressive. And then led up. The ability to lead up. That's a, that's a really interesting idea. So that's look forward thought. to that. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for uh, joining me today, Rick. Jeremy, you're a good friend. And uh, w- one of the things that I've always appreciated about you is that you have always been people focused, not structurally focused. Mm, thank you. And uh, I just love what you're doing here and uh, wish you all the best and God's blessings. Well, thank you so much. Guys, thank you for joining us as well. And uh, if you want to connect with us, you can do that at Stream Grace Network on Facebook. You can uh, jump on our website, streamgrace.com. Uh, and, you know, feel free to drop us uh, an email or a comment. And uh, we look forward to the next time you join us for Conversations with Jeremy Griffin. Thanks again. God bless you. Be safe. And we will see you next time. For more episodes, subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio.